0: Good morning. Good morning, everyone. So, um, start with our family news. Don't forget to pick up your, uh, yes, Christmas bag and shopping list today in the lobby. Fill your bags. Uh, the filled bags need, it, need to be returned at the OC stage in the sanctuary on November the 20th. It's next Sunday. Discovery Lab is today, immediately following second service. For those who are interested in learning more about Otter Creek, child care is available please register online and our prayer concerns for this week are uh, Keith Thompson the passing of his father uh... James Thompson on uh, november the fourth Kingford Clayton uh... has an inf- uh, his infection is better and uh... surgery will be scheduled soon to remove a cyst prayers for continued healing and uh... are appreciated also um, Let's continue to pray for Sister Deborah Butler and uh, Brother uh, Preston Shipp is not with us this morning. Their oldest daughter is sick, so let's continue to pray for the, all of them. And uh, praise for new babies. Sadie Welch Jerkins was born November the 6th to uh, Stephen and Amanda. She was seven pounds and five ounces. Any other prayer concerns? Yes, sir.
1: I'm going to have a... I guess it's a surgery in the morning to repair my dialysis port or to enhance it. Uh, it's not working right now. Uh, but uh, so I believe not tomorrow, in the morning. Actually, it's more afternoon. But, uh, okay.
0: Anybody else? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. All right, can everybody do me a favor this morning? This morning, as we pray, let's stand and join hands. God, we come to you this morning asking you to be with each and every person in this room. Father, we have a lot of emotions down here in this room, in this country. We have people who are scared for their life. have people who are excited Father we just have a bunch of different emotions but we know this one thing we know that if we put our hands in your hands that you can comfort us and that you can help us to deal with any situation that may come our way Father, this week we've been reminded of the things that happened back in Bible times. We look at how the children of Israel fell into captivity. And we look at how you took care of them. We look at how the first century church was persecuted for standing up for the name of Jesus. we look at how the Roman government treated them. Father, we don't know what's going to happen, but we do know who's in control of what's going to happen. And Father, we just pray that you be with each and every one of us. Give each and every one of us the strength that we need to continue to stand for Jesus. No matter what the election results are, Father, we know that you are still in control. Help us to deal with our emotions, but help us to remember that we need to focus on Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can help us to deal with anything. And Father, we pray that the things that are said in classes this morning, in this building, said in sermons in this building and around the world father we pray that the focus is on you we pray that we don't hold any kind of hostility or hatred towards our fellow brothers and sisters because they are not the enemy satan is Father, we know that Satan is doing a very good job right now of trying to separate your children. But Father, we pray that we stop it at this moment in time and put our focus back on you. Expose the sin that this country was founded upon and continue to stand boldly for you. Father, I know it sounds like I'm repeating myself, but Father, I know that there is somebody here, it may even be me, that's not even hearing what I'm saying right now, Father. So I'm asking your spirit to work on each and every individual in this class. We pray for those who are going to be having surgery. We pray that you be with them, be with the doctors and the nurses, help them to make the right decisions. Father, we pray uh, that uh, you be with those who are still recovering from illness, be with them and stand by them, bring them back to their most wanted health. Father, we thank you for the new babies that were born. Uh, The the gift of life is always a a cheerful thing. And Father, let us always remember to cherish life, no matter if it's a child or an elderly person, or anywhere in between. We pray for those who don't look like us, those who don't believe like us. We pray that you be with each and every person. Help us. We need you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
2: lots of seats down front come on in lots of seats over here lots of seats raise your hand if you will if you got seats next to you so people can find a spot real quick <laughs> And now I stand back up again. <laughs> Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
1: Praise Him.
2: College at uh, Lipscomb at the time, Lipscomb College. Um, our, my freshman year, our, we won the NAIA national championship, and uh, under Coach Don Meyer. And one of the things I remember that he used to say was, he used to just drill in. You got to do the basics right. You got to do the basics right. You got to do the basics right. You got to practice the basics. You got to practice the basics. You got to practice the basics. And it seemed to me just a little bit. I've I've read about great coaches is that that's one of the things that's common, is that they always focus on you got to get the basics, you got to get the simple things, and you got to keep practicing them and do them over and over and over again so that they become second nature and so you're not having to think about it. Leo Tolstoy one time said that uh, once we began to catch a vision of the proclamation of Jesus and what Jesus meant by the kingdom of heaven, the only thing that remains for us is to keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. Related to that, uh, I think a lot of times we overlook the meaning originally of the word church. Um, you know, the preachers used to use the, uh, the etymological breaking up of the word and say kaleo is the Greek word for call and ek is the Greek preposition for out, so the church are, or the called out. Um, but, but actually, and there, there was some, you know, they would tell some story about the Greek people being called out to gather together. But it's the, it's the meaning of being called out that was often overlooked, and that is the assembly were people who came together to try to discern how they were going to do life together. That is, church is a community that's not, the, the primary or earlier connotation of the word church is not that it's a religious gathering but that it is a gathering of people who try to discern how to do life together. It was explicitly a political term of how do we as a community figure out how we're going to do life together under the claim that Jesus is Lord? How are we gonna be in the world as a people who claim that Jesus is Lord? And so I think one of the things that's so important as we try to come together is that we keep trying to think of how do we help each other and how do we discern together what it means to be the people of God in the world. What I want to do this morning is I'm going to lay out um, three or four kind of theo- quick theological observations, and then we're going to try to do some talking in the time we have together. And I'm going to commit that we're going to quit, regardless of who's talking. I'm going to interrupt at, at uh, 10.47, <laughs> and we'll be done. Uh, a good reminder, I think, is that uh, Jesus, in his temptation account in Luke 4, was tempted by, by three things. Um, One was to be uh, what we might call a welfare king. Feed everybody, feed everybody, you'll be king. We see this happens in John 6. He feeds everybody and they try to make him king. And Jesus' reply to that is, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That the the ministry of Jesus would most definitely be concerned with bread, but it would be holistic and would never be reduced to one thing. The second thing we see him being tempted with is uh, imperial power. Uh, If you will take on the role of emperor, you take on the role of king, take on the role of president, you can do a lot of great stuff with this power. Um, And imagine what a great temptation that would have been to someone who was truly righteous, we claim. We get the truly righteous person. It could fix the problems. And yet Jesus says, and as the story is told, as it's couched, This was Jesus having to bow down to Satan to take on that kind of power. And I think that we need to remember that. It's a a terribly important sociopolitical commentary. This is one of the three temptations that's set before Jesus of Nazareth, whom we claim to be Messiah. And then third, at least one interpretation of this most odd one, is if you'll be the religious reformer, you'll fix everything in the temple, then everything will be okay. And Jesus turns away from all of those. Pretty soon after that, he's in Luke 4, he goes into his hometown and he reads out from the prophet, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. And you know the rest of that text. So what Jesus does is he turns away from these kind of grave temptations and these ways that he's tempted to be Messiah, these are three competing ways to be Messiah and there's been lots of people who have tried to be Messiah in that way and Jesus says that's not my way. My way is this way. And then he proclaims good news in Nazareth. So the, um, I think holding this before us is always going to be a corrective, always important corrective for, for me and keeping me from reducing it to any one thing. Next thing I would like to note is that related to this, uh, Jesus and the Apostle Paul both would oftentimes speak in terms of agrarian metaphors. And they didn't use language of top-down change, they used language of kind of bottom-up work. Now, I I want to be quick to say that that I, I do not think that that means that the church has nothing to say about social policy. But I'll also quickly say that I don't know enough about social policy to say a whole lot about it as far as utilitarian implications of some social policies. Because um, if you look, for example, for those of you who who were with us last week watching this documentary, you see that um, one one of the things that Bill Clinton apologized for in the last year was the way his own social policies with regard to the penal justice system had had a horrible impact upon the African-American community. And in all of his good will to try to do good by the African-American community, he, he admitted, I messed up by my social policy. And so the people who really study the stuff can't always see what's going to happen. It, it, it teaches me to be careful about me thinking I can always know what's going to happen when I'm not schooled in that stuff. Um, but what Jesus and Paul will oftentimes talk about is they'll use things like sowing and watering seed. Right? so we take the seed of the kingdom of God and we sow it. Or other people will come along and water it. Or some people even earlier have to till the ground. And then for Paul it's, but God gives the increase. Some sow, some water, some till the soil, but God will give the increase. The next thing I want to note is, um, and we've noted this before several times, is that um, one of the, and this goes, this is not just a Christian observation, go back to Aristotle and he says there's four great cardinal virtues, courage, prudence, temperance, and justice. Aquinas picks this up, one of the great doctors of the church in the medieval era, he picks up those same four, four courage, prudence, temperance, and justice, and as the theological virtues of faith, hope, and love, and he says, these are key to what it means to be a Christian in the world. Well, let's think about the courage one just a second. Um, I realized some years ago in teaching ethics classes, um, and one day I was just like, this, me teaching ethics classes means, doesn't mean squat unless my students have some kind of courage. And that's why, you know, Aristotle would call it one of the four cardinal ones, right? Because courage means taking the risk to do what we think is right and good in a given context knowing it costs us something, knowing it costs us some sort of pain. That courage is, a, is this willingness to look at the, the painful consequences of doing something we believe to be right and good and doing it anyway, right? And for me, uh, as someone raised with being conflict-averse, me being schooled in the virtues of niceness as opposed to the virtues of being kind and truthful, uh, learning to practice social courage has been a great challenge for me. And I've had to push myself and to learn to practice courage. And I have to keep continuing to push myself to speak up when I think something needs to be said. And I know it's going to be painful and difficult to say what I think needs to be said. I'm sure some of you have heard me tell this story. Forgive me if you've heard me tell the story. But um, for, for some years, in one, one class in particular I had, I would, uh, I would set up my students for these things we called intentional conversations. And so what I would do is because I wanted to, them to have training in ethics classes and practicing courage. And so the first thing I'd have them do, the easy one would be that you've read this book. Now go find somebody at a coffee shop. Sit down with them and say, can I tell you about a book? And if they say no, then go find somebody else and say, hey, can I talk to you about this book? Find somebody who'll say yes. Then sit down with them. Keep it short. Talk seven minutes. Tell them what the book says. And then say, what do you think about that? see what the person says, say thank you, can I buy you a cup of coffee? Then go on your way. We build them up in more difficult conversations. The mother of them all is uh, at near the end of the semester where I tell them come to class next time and give me a list of the three people you find most intimidating on campus that you think will disagree with you about this given topic we're working on. So they come to class that day, they have their list, I say tell me, you know, tell me let me see your list." and I say okay for next class period your job is to go to the, to the top one on your list and go tell them what you think about this let them say what they think and then you say you're wrong and walk away
1: <laughs>
2: and I just I, I love that exercise but of, course, but, but of course for many of them the first one terrified them so you can't imagine how much it terrified some of them on the last one well, I was I was in my, you know, and so the smart Alec teacher uh, was in the Y the next week uh, when they were in the middle of doing this very exercise and I was in the locker room and um, I would just come out of the shower. I didn't take my bath towel that day so I had the little hand towel.
1: <laughs> and,
2: Steve shaking his head, trying to get this vision out of his <laughs> vision. Standing there with a the head in towel, Steve, and um, <laughs> and the uh, there's very big signs in the locker room in the wire that say no cell phone use is permitted in the locker room. Right, and so there was this guy standing next to me at my locker on his cell phone, and I thought, dude, but I thought, I did not say that. I'm thinking, dude, and. Um, and then I think about my students and what I've required of them. And then I look at the guy, and the guy is very buff.
1: <laughs>
2: and and um, very angry on the phone. And um, agitated and cursing. And I'm very wet and naked <laughs> and not so buff. <laughs> and I think about my students. And so I can't get off the hook. So I say, man, excuse me. He says, what? I said, no cell phone use is permitted in the locker room. And he says, I've got to go, damn it. And I'm I'm still standing there like this. And And he looks at me with this glare and he says, Thank you for letting me know that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, Christian life, like everything worthwhile, requires practice. Um, because Christian life is... Um, is growing and transforming, just like Josh was talking about in the sermon this morning, just like marriage requires lots of hard work, and sticking with it, that's what Christian life requires, and it arrives pushing us in places that we need to push ourselves, mm-hmm. and practicing courage, and learning how to speak. I was mindful this week of uh, the, the uh, line from Martin Luther King, Jr., from letter from Birmingham Jail, where he says, I must confess that over the past few years I have been gravely disappointed with quite moderate. I have almost reached the regrettable conclusion that the Negro's great stumbling block in his stride toward freedom is not the white citizen's counselor or the Ku Klux Klanner, but the white moderate who is more devoted to order than to justice. Who prefers a negative peace, which is the absence of tension, to a positive peace, which is the presence of justice. Who constantly says, I agree with you and the goal you seek, but I cannot agree with your methods of direct action who paternalistically believes he can set the timetable for another man's freedom, mm-hmm. who lives by a mythical concept of time, and who constantly advises the Negro to wait for a more convenient season. Mm-hmm. And so, one of the things that I've, I've been thinking about this week is how important it is for us to continue to, to... We've got to ask big questions and the church needs to be thinking about big questions and we need to think be thinking about uh, the things we saw in that, in that documentary last week. Um, <coughs> But one of my colleagues at school this week, who's a a white woman, told me that a, a black activist said to her one day, stay in your lane. And what she explained to me that he meant by that was, all of us are gifted with different spheres of influence and different gifts and different talents and different abilities. And what he was suggesting was, do what you're good at and do it really well where you are and speak up, but speak from where you know how to do what you do well. So if you're a teacher, you teach well and you you deal with the microaggressions in the classroom and you deal with the questions as they arise in the classroom and you deal with what goes on in the school community. If you're a business person, you ask questions about how might other people be excluded from the possibilities of economic flourishing that I haven't been paying attention to and how can I help contribute to justice in the, in the economic realm. If you're a writer write and tell the truth and speak about the truth. If you're an activist keep on being an activist and keep on speaking up and keep on pushing and keep on claiming and keep on protesting. But whatever it is that you do, Keep doing it to the best of your capability and the best of your ability, and do it in that time and in that place as best as you are capable. Now, um, with that, I want to suggest this: we're going to do do some think, pair, share stuff for our 17 minutes it remains. Uh, so make sure you've already go ahead and select somebody you're going to have a conversation with. It's not your spouse, so you've got. Uh, but don't do that yet because I don't want to lose yet. here see, the, and then what you'll have you'll have about. 60, 90 seconds for each of you to share an answer to the question, and then we'll share some as a group, and then we'll go to a second question. Here's the first question. Um, The the notion of microaggressions is the notion that a lot of what happens in our communities is that uh, structures of oppression or structures of injustice get perpetuated by very small, slight things that are said. It might be assumptions that are said, it might be vocabulary that's used. It might be offhand comments that are made, and so what I want to ask you to, do, to share with you, your uh, conversation partner is um, wh- what try to identify some sort of micro, so-called microaggression that you've observed, that you've seen, um, or the, a tale that you've heard recently, uh, and so just share that with each other. Everybody clear on the question?
1: <laughs> um
2: well let's see let me see if I can th- think of an example um if um one micro uh, one microaggression among among whites might be um why can't they just get over it you know that that that's not um that's not um, lynching anybody, it's not, an act, it's not an overt act of racism, <coughs> but it is a microaggression in the sense that it, it completely overlooks a whole world of assumptions and social dynamics and what's going on, and it is, it is a way of perpetuating, at least at one real level, oppression that's going on in our society. So it's not, nobody would look at that necessarily and say that, that's racist. In one way, according to certain definitions of racism, it is not racist in the, in the common term of racism, but it is a slight sort of assumption about social dynamics that perpetuates an aggression against a certain sort of community. Does that make sense? So try to identify a microaggression, if you will, um, and share that with your partner. Go, You've got 90 seconds. Each of you has 45. <laughs> if you will what I would like to do now is I would like I would like to hear from somebody who heard somebody who heard your conversation partner tell something that you found insightful or helpful or a story that you just found compelling and important Um, My partner Rihanna here was
1: saying that she was at work and she walked into a room where politics was being discussed and as soon as she walked in like everything shut down
2: Louder, we'll was sharing a
1: story about in her large law firm. She had to intervene with a partner who was doing a lot of mentoring, and he had given some suggestions to a young African American associate that in reality he would have never given to a, a white associate. It was more on like appearance and things. And just the, I'm sure it was all well intentioned, but it was just the ignorance and the insensitivity uh, and just the real life, you know, big. Supposedly sophisticated people, but we just don't understand uh, or appreciate how our communications the they
2: that. Thank you.
1: Um, we're talking about the anger over the protesting of the election results and like blindly being so mad about those people being upset about.
2: Um, about uh, a male boss jokingly telling a female coworker to get his coffee, and when she said that's not my job, and he played it off as a joke, and we talked about the fact that that's thinking about implicit bias. Probably he wouldn't have made that same joke to a male counterpart that he was willing to make to a female counterpart. Yeah. Thanks. So I hand over here, I think. I can
1: go we uh, talked about two things one politics and one race um, politics was this, how come everybody that voted for Trump the, the idea is that they're all rural communities or like redneck people <laughs> and uh, that might be a stereotype and uh, uh, and we also talked about uh, which is the opposite end your <coughs> statement which is for me and the kids that I work with is how come, a lot of times they'll say, "How come this country won't allow me to have time to be to learn how to be black?"
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, th- I think that um, one one note on that is that, um, and we haven't. I don't think we've raised that point in here. I think it's related to what you're just saying. Um, sure. But a lot of times for whites, it's, it's assumed that the peak of accomplishment as a white person is to be colorblind. Mm-hmm. Um, but what a lot of a lot of uh, Conversation about that is done here of late is to say that colorblindness does not help the conversation because what colorblindness does is it it acts as if uh, certain norms can simply be achieved by ignoring race and in fact what ignoring race does is allow some of those power dynamics and assumptions about what is normal to. Um, continue to dominate in implicit or sometimes explicit ways. Yes. Mm-hmm. Thanks. Fred. you have one?
0: I didn't get a chance to share this one with my other two partners, so I want to share with both of you. Great. Um, having worked in business for, for many years, I think one microaggression in the context you mentioned mm-hmm. it was um, what I would suggest to other business leaders in this class is make more of a big deal about MLK's birthday week. I think that's a national holiday. Often I've seen a business it just kind of goes with, without missing a beat. Um, it is a big deal. It's something we ought to in business.
2: Thank you. All right. Here's the next question. Um, let me uh, let me give a, an example of a microaggression. And you, um, in your conversation, think of what? What? This is a very simple one. Uh, but in your in your conversation, think. How could we constructively respond to that, okay? So imagine a, um, a mom driving her child, her son, and four other friends to the Tusculum area for a soccer game. And on the way there, one of the kids in the back seat says, we're going over to play the fence jumpers today. The fence jumpers. Uh, they were going to play a Hispanic
1: okay. soccer team. Sorry.
2: Sorry. Or at a soccer school where most everybody's going to be Hispanic, okay. off and on. The road. Right. Okay. So, in your think fair share, okay. put yourself in that situation and say, How do you, how do you what do you say? How, how do you deal with that? How do you, how do you employ courage and justice and fairness? and that you're an adult and this is, a, this is a kid in your back seat. What do you do? Go. <laughs> share with us what you found share with us something that, that your conversation partner said that you find to be a helpful possibility.
1: We, we have said that maybe the most disarming way to address something like that is to ask the person what they mean by it. Like, faint ignorance even if you know. Um, to me I think, I think a big a, big reason that people don't listen to each other is because we automatic we have this fundamentalist notion that we understand everything and we're right and the other person's wrong so even in that situation where we all might agree that is inappropriate language if you ask the person the question and they have to say out loud what they mean by that mm-hmm. then there's the possibility for them to recognize mm. this is maybe not an inappropriate or not an appropriate yeah. thing to say that's, or yeah that's a, great way to think good thanks well, I think it also depends on the age of the children. If you're dealing with third graders, it's going to be a very different response than if you're dealing with high schoolers. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what we said too is asking the question is really the first place to go and then from there um, just being more like, well, you know, even even if even if it's true, even if you are going to visit with a group of people where the majority of them are illegals, one thing that Jim said was, you know, Recognizing that there's still individuals who are loved by God, and being like, you know, you can't just apply that base and reduce them to to something that is just so negative. You yeah. know, trying to trying to play into it that God still loves these people regardless of whatever label we stick on them. Thank you. Thank you. Well, if I'm
0: driving the car, I will channel my mother and say,
1: "Well, if you're not playing the game." Then <laughs> so, but then also, I'm. Thinking As to saying this as a black woman, the, the offspring I have in the car is also some form of a black person as well. So, <laughs> just to, say, just to kind of remind this fake child, like <laughs> you, your worldview is so narrow, you know. So, you know, just like how you were brought up or whatever. Like we were kind of having that discussion with the, the first thing, think, share, whatever. Um, but just how, like, how our, how we have been grown up is like our parents have protected us and we don't have to necessarily really try because it's it's normal that I'm sitting next to Betsy. It's normal that I'm sitting next to her. So it's, um, so our worldview is a little sheltered. So just to kind of go over that and yeah, definitely ask the question, where did you like, why would you even say that? But I would really take a, we would like break in that car and be like, okay, we're not going to the game because we are just talking about this. And just the fact that like, you are like, can't just go over there and just say those things to somebody who, because you're brown skin also, you know, I just mm-hmm. like having that discussion. So I think that was
2: Great. You Thank more. you. I think,
1: and this doesn't apply broadly, but more specifically to the situation. We said ask the question first, but then also ask whoever is in the car, assuming Think they would want to come here anyway yeah
2: here. very good we've well, we got to stop I'm sorry I promised um, so the last 20 seconds is that um, I ask you this week to look for opportunities to exercise courage and to um, pay attention to listen to people with whom you may strongly disagree uh, I love the I love the suggestion of asking questions um, what do you mean by that Listen, exercise courage, and engage that space and see what might come out of it. Amen. 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 Have a good week.